Welcome to Altered Mates, a philosophical podcast hosted by Alejandro Tuama and Tobias Penno, two mates fascinated by altered states. Stay tuned for a conversational journey through the murky depths of consciousness, psyche, and the human experience. To find out more or to support the podcast, please go to alteredmates.com. We hope you enjoy the ride. Tuama here, one half of the Altered Mates duo. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss challenging psychedelic experiences. Experienced psychonauts amongst you will know that the psychedelic experience, as much as we might want it to be, is not all love and light. It's not all machine elves and fractals. While we can open ourselves up to incredible beauty and profound insights, intense pleasure, It's also possible, and maybe even likely, that we'll expose ourselves to pain, ugliness, suffering, fear, confusion, and horror. In this episode, we concern ourselves with what we have labelled as challenging psychedelic experiences. And in the conversation that follows, Tobias and I discuss three particularly challenging experiences that I've encountered in my psychonautical journey. First off is an ayahuasca trip from when I was staying in a retreat centre in Iquitos, Peru and endured an intense evening of emotional pain, suffering and despair. Second, we'll discuss an ominous psilocybin mushroom trip that, uh, that took place at home with, with some close friends of mine and where I faced the prospect that I might be living in an inescapable trap. And thirdly, we discuss a terrifying DMT trip that I took alone where I encountered what appeared to be some kind of dark demonic entity and, uh, well, I lost myself to fear and panic. So we use these three experiences as a launching point in this episode to consider what, as psychedelic practitioners, we can do with such experiences. How do we make sense of them? How do we reconcile them with our picture of the world? Are we empathizing with other people's suffering? Is that what's going on? Or are we uncovering our own repressed trauma and feelings? Are we becoming aware of the multi-level trap of existence? Or are we descending into temporary madness and psychosis? Are we encountering dark demonic entities from other dimensions? Or are they aspects of our own mysterious shadow? And is there, in fact, any difference? Alrighty then, enough of me talking. Let's get on with the show. Well, I think that for all the challenging experiences that I've had, the ones that are um, the, the scariest for me involve like uh, madness, that that seems to be what's like what I'm most afraid of 
is that I'm going to go mad. <laughs> or that I am, yeah. That you already are and don't know it or something no, like that. No, it's not that. That it's like that the, that the psychedelic that I've taken is like making me mad or bringing out that in me and then it's going to last forever. That like that feel it, that what I'm feeling in that moment, which is like chaos and madness is going to last forever. Yeah. Like that's it. And that's like, that was the moment in my life when I fucked up and then yep. it'll, it'll be like that you forever. You flick the crazy switch yeah. and you can't unflick it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've not actually confronted. Oh, actually, no, that's not true. I have had experiences where it's been late in the night and I feel overwhelmed by what is happening and it feels like it has felt like close to being um like something could break in me like my breath like my mind could break at that point because i can't hold this anymore i can't keep going something needs to give it hasn't given but it's felt like it could and that's been kind of scary so i did i wanted to talk about three experiences in particular and originally the way that i envisaged it it would be in like chronological order ayahuasca in 2016 mushrooms in 2020 dmt in 2021 but now i'm kind of thinking like oh i don't know maybe just get to the juiciest just want to skip through to dmt and just go straight to the juiciest (laughs) one that's that's what i really want to talk about right um we can do that (laughs) i think it would be interesting to to uh, ease progress okay let's do that let's start at the beginning Okay. 2016, did 2016, you say? yeah. What, what happened in 2016? So this is the year of the big trip. This is the... I went to South America first in 2011, yeah. having never heard of ayahuasca before, but had my first two ceremonies at the end of that trip. And that and it was it was great. It was lovely. It was, one of, it's like, it was like a classic psychedelic experience. Mm-hmm. And that there were bits that were weird, but it's like I went in so naive that... I was just rolling with it. It's like, whoa, sweet. <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm. And then five years later, I went back. I uh, went back to the same place, had some shitty... Well, okay, so I had another kind of challenging experience when I went back to the same place mm-hmm. in that nothing really happened. Mm. And so I, was, I, had drunk, I had drunk enough. People around me were in the medicine um, and then just nothing was happening for me. Mm. And so I was so frustrated I was like, besides feeling nauseous, feeling a bit sick, uh, but then just feeling so disappointed. Mm. But anyway, then like a month later, I sh- I went into the Amazon, into into Iquitos, and then to this dedicated center, like um, yeah, like a way more legit place, and that and I spent about a month. Well, I spent about six weeks there, all up. What was the name of this place? Oh, I don't know if I want to name drop. It's like you get there through Iquitos, Peru. Yeah. So I stayed there and had some serious ayahuasca experiences. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think like the first night I had one and it was fairly gentle. And then the second ceremony was, was a like a massive one. Mm-hmm. That was one where it was, there were challenging elements. But overall, once I got out the other end, it was like, fuck yeah. That was like the breakthrough that I've been looking for. Yeah, that's why you came back. 
yeah that's why i stayed there well i stayed there and then um drank again maybe 15 to 18 more times yeah before i got to this one experience that i want to talk about now okay which is where uh i went in kind of i just finished a chirik sanango dieta which involved staying in my little cabin by myself for four days four Mm -hmm. or five days and someone from the center was bringing me this brew just a particular kind of plant i didn't know about it before i went in Mm -hmm. it's really common at this place to do tobacco diets so it's like you come in drink ayah and then the ayahuasca recommends a tobacco diet so everyone just does it right it's great it's real cleansing purgative and the churik was a bit different it it um it really um like laid me out like i was spent a lot of time just on the floor oh, <laughs> all right <laughs> but it's supposed to be yeah like kind of like grounding and that kind of thing okay so you're by yourself in this hut you're not allowed to leave the hut they bring you food they bring you this thing you're not yep. eating much you have no. no technology you have that's correct nothing but water yeah yeah eating just vegetable juice vegetable juices yeah um sometimes like a little bit of porridge right. with bananas what did you do with all that <laughs> time in one place <laughs> so i mean i was writing a lot right over over this period writing a lot and thinking about my life and i was reading but mm. then during the cheery it was quite uncomfortable so i did spend a lot of time just like rolling around feeling a bit uncomfortable i was smoking a lot of mapacho yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's kind of like it felt like i've never been to rehab but it felt like that in that so there's no alcohol there's no coffee at the center you can't get it but so all you can kind of do is smoke (laughs) i mean obviously and then drink ayahuasca all the time yeah yeah it's kind of like a jungly rehab center it's very very similar in my image (laughs) that's what it feels like it's like a cross between rehab and summer camp (laughs) cool yeah so that's what i was doing i can can remember it now it it makes your skin really tingle Mm. so it's like this like pins and needles vibration all over yeah um yeah, so I'd come out after that. Okay. I'm in the ceremony. Um, it's another one of those times where it's just fucking doesn't kick in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the ceremony is over, gets to the end. It feels like I've had a process. Like there, what there has been like a like a wave to it, and I get to the end, and I'm kind of aware of what's going on around me. I'm like, oh, it was just like a nice little gentle. <laughs> <laughs> experience you know because i hadn't drunk ayahuasca for a few days because i'd been on mm-hmm. been on this diet and yeah that was it i basically thought that was the night uh-huh. and then this kind of the storm came in and it was raining and the rain was just kind of flicking through the windows it was really nice i was just lying there with my shirt off and just the rain was kind of dropping in yeah i was like this is great i'm just gonna chill here for a while uh-huh. and then everyone started leaving um and when there was maybe like a couple of people left like there was one guy next to me who had like a horrible night uh-huh. and so he was just resting <laughs> and then when almost everyone had left then it then it kicked in again then it kicked in. yeah it kicked in then had the shaman left and the facilitators there was one facilitator left okay. <laughs> <Thank> fuck. <laughs> and this this dude who had had a horrible night and it, it kicked in but it kicked in like a dmt flash oh, and it was just shit. like boom yeah. out of nowhere 
but it was it was good mm-hmm. and and like i came out of it and i was like holy shit that was a fucking dmt flash um and then the one of the um facilitators and the other guy were like hey we're gonna go to bed now and that's when i became that's when i really panicked i started to become afraid because it just started to build in intensity mm. and i said oh could you please stay yep and so one of the facilitators came back sat down next to me the other guy went home mm-hmm. and then that's when the really difficult part of the night started okay and it was it was just waves of incredible intense pain and suffering like emotional pain and suffering so it's like in the first kind of wave of it 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 felt as though i was just like this kind of open vessel and then all of the dark uh sadness and energy from the maloka had just like poured into me and i was just like feeling it all well and then it's kind of like everything around me is red like blood red or black mm. and so like this first wave comes on i'm like oh god it's so intense and then after that i kind of op- open my eyes and I'm, I'm back in the room and then i start laughing i'm like oh my god <laughs> that was so intense <laughs> and almost feeling a little bit euphoric and kind of in a weird way kind of happy because it's like oh I've, I've had this experience wow that was so amazing mm. and then that that didn't last very long and then i went back into it and then it was just like more even more pain uh-huh. and it felt like kind of the world the world's pain like flooding flooding in like not just the maloka but just but more and, yeah and that one really kind of broke me mm. and then i just um felt overwhelmed by the feeling and i think that's um that's something that i've tried to convey before about the psychedelic experience that for me it's not as much about the visual aspect that there's you know there's a crazy patterns and then visions and images and that kind of stuff but it's the accompanying feeling mm. the sensation is it oh, if that's yeah. not the right word that that's the thing that you can't simulate you know mm. with a screen or whatever but it's that something can feel so monumental and overwhelming and if it's even if it's like joy or love it's overwhelming mm. that's like i can't handle all of this love i'm gonna explode and it's painful Mm. and so then when the feelings of fear and pain and suffering come in it's like just so brutal that yeah that i can't handle it um yeah it's it's like um it's like the the fundamental rites of passage that we go through in life you know marriage death um birth you know like those big things that change you in a way that is impossible to describe unless you've been through that and psychedelics Mm. change you in that same way um and it's yeah it's not about the it's not even entirely about the feeling it's about how the feeling changes how you (laughs) see yourself and how you see the world and and your position in in the world and it just kind of changes you in a really foundational way Um, yeah because i think that uh related to that is like one of the initial i talked before about like my second ceremony at this new center where it was like that the fuck yeah this is the real kind of experience it's like that it's like i go in being like oh i don't know about the world like is this really 
is there anything really going on? And then it just slaps me across the face and shakes me. Mm. Like, are you serious? <laughs> you don't think this is real? Like, <laughs> yeah. You want to feel something? <laughs> feel this. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Aya seems to have a unique way of like, you know, you hear this a lot about people purging for others, like oh, within yeah. the ceremony, like somebody is, and when I say purging, I mean anything like um, processing emotions, literal purging, um, sharing suffering together, yeah. you know, going processing suffering together, things like that. I had an experience like what you described where it felt like I was taking on the energy of people from the ceremony. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was quite a disturbing one actually. And as you were talking, I was reflecting on that where I like, I don't know whether this is my projection because I didn't speak to the participants or not, but it (laughs) felt like somebody was processing sexual abuse in the night. And I felt like I was, helping them to do that or processing that processing that with them yeah and i and i just realized that like one of the things that really characterized my experience was this like almost desperate desire to just get out of that situation and just leave and like when people were talking at the end of the ceremony i like wanted them all to stop really badly and i was just like really didn't want to be there and it was like i was being forced to be somewhere that i didn't want to be which is just an interesting reflection given what i was thinking that i was processing um what do you mean like you're being forced as in like this this social constraint of the ceremony meant that you couldn't leave yeah that's what it felt it felt like you know it felt like i didn't have a choice for some reason in the night where normally i haven't felt that way okay and i'll just get up and walk out and go take a moment outside the maloka as as i needed um yeah and i just i remember looking around the room and, and it, like, it was almost like I could see there was something in the room. Like there was a presence, something yeah. icky and dark yeah. near the roof. And then, yeah. And then I was processing that with everybody else. Um, yeah. That was kind of challenging in a way that I, I don't know whether I came out better or worse at the end of that. I almost feel like it was a neutral experience yeah. and it, I was, it was almost like I was doing something for someone else that I didn't exactly sign up to do. Yeah. It brings up an interesting point about that, like doing psychedelics with groups of people. Mm. And so like where I did at this center, there are people that I don't know. They come from all over the world. Mm. And I mean, I started, I had a, a mate, a couple of mates there at the start and then they left and I made friends there, but you know, it might be half the ceremony is full of people. I don't know. And it does seem like we're sharing stuff. Mm. Yeah. That there is some kind of, and yeah, it's, do we really want to do that? Yeah. And I know that we've talked before about the potential for like community building. And so it's like, if you're there with your family unit, then I guess that's good that you can share stuff. But if you're there with randoms, is that always a good thing? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you, if you sort of take on that kind of like um, universal desire to live a life in service and, you know, try to help the world, then you could consider it an act of service to the international community. And, you know, in that sense, you're sort of um, helping each other across the international community. But... 
Um, and so there is a, a positive to it, but whether it's like really doing something good for you is questionable. But as I'm speaking, I'm kind of thinking about that whole like I'm in you and you're in me. What what I help you to purge, what I help you to heal is also inherently something I'm healing within myself because we're such reflections of each other. Mm-hmm. So there, that offers up a framing for that experience that, that could be positive where, yeah, somehow if, if I'm suffering a challenging experience because I'm purging something with others, then um, I could only suffer from that experience if I have a psychological kind of connection to that, you know, if, if there's something there for me which has charge and which has relevance. I couldn't really, it wouldn't really be something that affected me if it didn't have that. Therefore, it's part of my psyche as well. Therefore, there is healing for me there as well, if that makes sense. I don't, you, I don't know how to make example? that. I don't know how to make that tangible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we'll like just take a really simple experience. Someone might be grieving the loss of their father, right? Yep. I have a father. I will eventually lose my father. Unless um, you die first. Even then, I'm still losing him in a way. So, yeah. but, you know, it, when you're losing everyone. Yeah. And, um, and so if I share that person's grief, right, then you know, I'm, I'm healing my grief. Or even perhaps I am laying down the fertile soil for a more vital connection with my father because I'm more fully recognizing his Mm. mortality through that shared experience of somebody else grieving their father. So it's kind of like there's this kind of web going on of kind of interconnection and someone else's suffering can be, you know, your somebody else's healing of suffering can be your kind of healing and become a, yeah, a springboard for, for you as well. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do we get here? (laughs) <laughs> ayahuasca that's how we got here um okay so back to your experience well yeah so that that's all that i wanted to talk about about the actual experience itself and then looking at how to interpret it yeah and that and so i've got a you know a couple of ideas of how to interpret it and that um and it's basically down to it's like either I'm empathizing with the suffering of the world. So it's like, um, you know, th- uh, in my life, I'm, I see a bunch of suffering out there. That I, you know, I see it on the streets or see it on the news or whatever. Have an awareness, study history, learn about all this shit. Mm-hmm. And then be like, okay, well, that's pretty bad. <laughs> but then after 30 years of doing that and then... Uh, having an ayahuasca experience that just kind of makes me look at it again and makes me feel it mm-hmm. is like, how do you really feel about, you know, all, all the of the suffering, suffering of the world? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a fucking good question, isn't it? Cause uh, it's nice to just not um, pay full attention to what it is. Cause if you pay too much attention to it, it would be debilitating. That's, I think that's it. That I think it's adaptive. Mm. That it's almost like we have to let it go or not. Yeah. We can't pay full attention to all the suffering in the world all the time. Cause 
would just be crying on the floor. It's like you couldn't get anything done. Yeah. If we yeah. kept thinking about it all the time. I, I tried that. I, tr- I tried to <laughs> tried to help the world when I graduated mm. social work and, and work yeah. in, in child protection. And, you know, I put all of my energy into working with the families that I worked with. And even that's still micro. It's still just like these immediate families trying to help people who are disadvantaged, where society's been unfair to certain groups and yeah I like totally burnt myself out from that and then became like a bit of a shell for a little while emotionally so that taught me that I you know that I can't there's not really much that I can do (laughs) Um, but you can't ignore it either so I guess it's about finding that balance or maybe it's like um, just don't add to it yeah (laughs) step one don't don't create more suffering first do no harm right (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, but I think I think having a at least an experience or a series of experiences where you uh, where there is a reckoning and a full experience of the emotional sort of reality of what's going on in the world like a felt Mm. connection to the natural world and the devastation that's happening there or a felt connection to people who are disadvantaged and the suffering that they go through um just at least a experience that gives you that that might humble you and um and help you to recognize your own privilege and your own you know um and, and the importance of why we should be trying to do the right thing and not do harm yeah from that emotional perspective is is important but dwelling on it is too much and then the other frame is that actually it's my shit yeah and that i'm projecting it uh-huh. that um it almost like it's it's easier or to think that it's that's actually the world's suffering that i'm experiencing hmm. when in fact maybe it's just my personal suffering from you know just being a human being and then you know maybe repressing my feelings for so long and then just one day not (laughs) not doing it not repressing yeah and experiencing it yeah and it just all floods in at once and seems like it's the end of the world yeah or um like even earlier childhood stuff you know when mum and dad are you know your whole world and you experience things maybe in more extremes around connection and safety and you know like Mm. (laughs) hearing kids cry sometimes like um it it feels like something really horrible oh like a little baby cry yeah yeah you know if mum mum's not there or or even just sometimes in the middle of the night yeah they just wake up and then the way they cry it's it's it sounds like something really horrible is happening Mm. and maybe it is in their world yep and and that's because everything's dark and mum disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst yeah. thing that could happen. And I've just come into existence and like, what <laughs> yeah. the fuck is this? And maybe just like the being born is yeah. is um, one of the most traumatic things in, in the world. And, and we can access those traumatic, that traumatic material when we're under the influence of IR. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's both. What I don't know how to. Yeah. And I don't. I think that that one in this one is not, uh, I'm not looking for answers for that. 
and I think that it falls onto the challenging but beneficial yeah. part of the spectrum. I definitely, oh, mm, I felt broken after it and mm. the next day and I was like, I don't want to drink ayahuasca again. Yeah. But it happened to be that um, there was a person at the center who came and checked in on me the next day and then she was like, you just op- you, you've just started the process basically. Like, you just opened it up, you've got to go in again tonight. And I was like, I'm not going to do it again. But, you know, I did. You did? Yeah. Was that helpful? Oh, and then that, the, so the night after was mm. like the most important psychedelic experience of my life. Okay, cool. I'd yeah. love to hear about that. Yeah, I'll can, tell you about that one later. You can tell, tell us later. <laughs> but that, yeah, it was, and I think it's because, you know, like I went in, I went in that next night with nothing to lose. Because mm. I went in, almost like expecting or anticipating that it was going to be more of the same. Yeah. And so I had like come to grips with that. I was like, fine, if that's what it has to be, then I'll fucking do it. And it, and it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it had its own intensity and challenges, but it was, it was super healing and it was just mm, amazing. That sounds amazing. Yeah. The um, shamans often talk about um, this idea that ayahuasca operates on the, biological physical psychological social and spiritual kind of like from the bottom up and depending on where you have blockages Mm. in your life it'll like if it's physical it'll start there okay your diet's fucked you need to you need to clean your body up you need to clean your act up and then if there's like psychological material maybe there's some like pain suffering that has been repressed got to deal with that if there's like relational stuff like you haven't closed off certain things had certain conversations with people it'll you know go to that and then once all of that has cleared then it will take you into more spiritual and more symbolic kind of places um it sounds like maybe one interpretation of what happened was that you processed something which then cleared the path for you to have a more yeah deeper experience or something totally resonates and even this, the step before that I think a lot of the weeks before was body stuff, clearing out old dirty kebabs and from my gut and things like that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Number two is... Number two is mushrooms. Mushrooms. Which I... <laughs> I was there for this one, wasn't I? Yeah, yes. this is when yeah, we yeah. were on the West Coast. Oh, yeah, the West Coast of Peru. That's I re- right. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> with, with, yeah, with one other individual as well. Mm. Yes, yeah, little trio, mm-hmm. three musketeers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this, this one... Yeah, so it was night night time. I just re- I just remembered right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I shared a little bit about my experience. Um, yeah, Alejandro shared a little bit about about his experience, which was quite dark. Mm. Meanwhile, our third uh, participant was sitting there, um, listening to all of this really dark kind of existential stuff for I don't know half an hour, an hour mm. before he finally chimed in and said, "I just had the most amazing <laughs> yeah. experience of my life." 
Yeah. Anyway. Fucking prick. <laughs> but I think when I started taking psychedelics, I was way more jealous of people's when they had an amazing experience, and mm. I had like just nausea and like shitting my pants for the whole night. But then, like having had some of those really nice experiences. Now I can, I've let go of the jealousy and I'm more like, sweet, tell me about it. That's cool. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> and like genuinely, not like, oh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, <laughs> I remember feeling it's nice to know at least somebody had a good experience. Yeah. Or had a nice experience. Again, so I think this one, this mushrooms one for me was not traumatic either. Mm -hmm. It was just challenging mm -hmm. and, and challenging in a different way. So whereas the ayahuasca experience was challenging in the, the intensity of the feelings, um, yeah, the like, overwhelming sadness, suffering, pain, that kind of stuff. With the mushrooms, it was like, it was like I was being like psychoanalyzed it was almost like a split and one of me was just an analyzing the, the, my other part and I just couldn't escape from it. Uh -huh. I'm like, why did you do that for? <laughs> <laughs> then, it, then it just continually got um, more confronting. That it was like the next step was looking at like just missed opportunities in my life and when I, moments of inaction and feeling like I had this, this quite vivid vision of so it was on the grassy area at uwa mm -hmm. um i haven't been there in a while i don't know if it's like changed from when i was there but it was almost like there was like a almost like a blurring ferris wheel of people that are just spinning around in a circle uh -huh. and i remember i just watched like some attenborough where the flamingos they do this fucking dance so it's where they're kind of pairing up and they'll go they all kind of fly. Uh, um, it's like a they walk on water, go uh -huh. one direction, and then they'll turn around and go back the other way. And right. they just keep doing this over and over again. But there's some flamingos on the outside that are just like watching. Like, <laughs> what are you guys? What are you guys doing? And that's what it felt like. That it felt like I was going back, watching all these people just like spinning in this social world, and mm. I was just on the outside. Mm -hmm. And it's this feeling of like you got to jump in, man. You got to jump in and be a part of it. You got to do something, and mm. I'm just frozen on the outside, just doing nothing. Mm. Like a passive observer that never yep. really lived their mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then in in that it, in that time, I'm feeling like this is how it's going to be forever. Mm. Because this is how you feel in this moment. This moment is eternity. Therefore, this is how it has always been and how it always will be, and you will always be like this. Oh. <laughs> yeah. it's not true like it's not true because mm. i have done many things yeah adventurous yeah. things that i'm but in that moment it felt like i just felt like all of the things i didn't do you know it's almost like ignore everything else just focus on this mm. mm -hmm. yeah wow i mean it's almost like it it, ex it exaggerated that feeling for you it exaggerated it made it mm. fully the worst thing the longest thing it just like amplified it um and with what outcome what what happened well after that well then there was another step oh there was a which, is even, step. which was even worse even worse oh god <laughs> yeah oh no 
Yeah, and so then it became more existential. Right. And so then then there came up this um, idea of a of a trap, and this is kind of like one of my um, one of my other fears. If if my main fear is like madness, mm. then this is the other one that uh-huh. it's I'm in a trap and I can't get out. Oh, God. <laughs> and and it you know it ranges from this like surface level trap, which is like um, oh, I have to do this fucking job to make to pay the bills or whatever mm-hmm. or um yeah like in this i'm trapped in this um in this place mm-hmm. like in perth you know i can't can't get out yeah uh, or i'm trapped in my body and like just the way that i live like that i've uh, like eat too much or drink too much yeah it's like, yeah i'm trapped with this group of friends this yeah. family this yeah this life yeah but then it goes beyond that and it's like i'm trapped in the like um the way that this world operates yeah of like of kind of survival that like if you look at the way animals live it's like they gotta they wake up and need to figure out how to eat that day or they're gonna die Mm -hmm. or they're gonna be killed by something and so feeling trapped within that particular system yeah it's like i'm in a system that is like do or die like kill or be killed Mm mm-hmm and that as much as we as humans have like tried to transform that and like push that out to the to the boundaries or set up walls against that it's still you know it can still feels that it's just a more there. it's just a more fanciful more complex version of the trap but it's still the yeah. same trap and there's a, a level of the trap which is where i feel like i'm being held captive by like a elite class of human people yeah, yeah. You know, like the um, the elite political economic class mm-hmm. that basically run the world and force me into <laughs> slavery. Yeah, which is arguably exactly what is happening. <laughs> yeah, and, and feeling like that there's no way that I can get out of that. Mm. That they've just got me in this bind where um, I'm never going to be able to fight against that. Like I'll I'll never amass enough power mm. to do that. Yep. Um, you were born in this class, and you will die in this class unless something extraordinary happens. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. And and so then it's like, I don't know what it would take for those people who hold such incredible power to give it up. Mm. It's like, and I can understand that it's like, why the hell would you? If you look out in the world and see that it's a game of survival and it's do or die and you happen to be born into this super class, Mm. why the hell would you give that up Mm. and risk being pushed down into the pit? Yeah. You wouldn't. You and there wouldn't. are there are bigger forces at play than you as well. Like you know, it, it, I don't I don't know what it's like to be in that class. So I can't really speak from know. that place. <laughs> but I imagine you know that there is enormous pressure on a lot of people who are in those places to maintain that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and to keep it not just you know socially, but from immediate family, from all sorts of pressures. Because um, well, they're also competing against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard it like described depending on which class you're born into, you're playing a different game. And when you're born in like the lower class, it's like snakes and ladders. <laughs> when you're born in the middle class, it's like checkers. And when you're born in the upper, like higher class, it's like chess. 
Um, And each has different priorities. But yeah, in that upper class, it's all about who you know and connection and status. And uh, yeah, it sounds like a nightmare of its own kind of creation. (laughs) Yeah. But one that sustains our trap that we live in. Yeah. Um, And and yeah, I, I, I wonder like in terms of those bigger forces at play, you know, this is a whole other conversation mm. about like the idea of collective entities, you know, that there, that there could be some kind of um, collective driving force or a, um, like a, a bigger than an individual, I guess a cultural force, which is holding these structures in place. That is just something so big that no individual can really tackle that or change that. And that we are, yeah, we are trapped by that. Um, yeah. And it's something primal in humans to have a hierarchy. And that just with the complexity of our culture now, that primal hierarchy is now built into the complex social structure. You were confronted with this, yeah. this trap. I have this distinct memory of you lying <laughs> on yeah. the ground, face first with your arms by your sides and your neck tilted to the side in this sort of collapsed, like, like oh, fuck, kind of um, position. Yes. Describing feeling trapped. Yep. I mean, it's like I, I just was having my head ground down into this mm. like one of those rolling stone <laughs> 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 yeah but at the end at the end of it yeah instead of it being like hopelessness and despair i had this feeling that i needed to fight mm. and that's what i was conveying to yourself and our other friend that's yes. like that's what came up at, at the end was that uh even if there's no way i'm gonna win i have to fight anyway because to give up is even worse mm. because then i'm like selling my soul i'm killing my soul i'm doing it myself mm. it's like gotta die on the battlefield yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i remember it being hilarious because because you were so collapsed and you were so defeated yeah. but at the same time you were like but i must fight i don't want to i really don't want to but yeah. I have to. And it was funny as well, wasn't it? Mm. I remember I found it quite amusing that mm. it's like, and I think that maybe that's a, a character of the mushroom where it still has an element of that hilarity to it. Where mm. I was like, it was such a dark night mm. for me, but it was still kind of amusing. And when you just come out, out of it on the, the tail end, everything's, I love that bit because it's quite, everything's a bit funny and, Still feeling a little bit floppy and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are these days. Those are almost the exclusively the times when I cry so much. I, I laugh so much. I cry. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It, it reminds me of like the first few times I smoke weed and get stoned mm. before it kind of turned on me, and you know I can't really use it anymore. But it was like that that kind of free hilarity. Yeah. Yes. That's I love that part. Okay, so. <clears throat> So it kind of sounds like that one was quite, albeit challenging, 
you come out the other side better because you've kind of looked at that feeling of trapped in a way that was very full and complete in all its, you know. Yeah. And come out going, I've got to fight. It certainly wasn't traumatizing and it wasn't, it wasn't like I learned something. I was like, ah, yes, here we go again. Mm. My, my fear. Um, So it wasn't like a surprise. You didn't know about this, but it was just like a real examination of it. Mm. And after reflecting on it, it's hard to say like that that's not at least a part of the reality of the world. That it's not like, I, I don't think I was misinterpreting the world. I think that it's pretty fair interpretation. It's not the whole story, mm. you know, because on the day to day, like I still go around and hang out with mates, you know, there's still love in the world, of course. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, you could, you could, um, <clears throat> you could also kind of look at it and, and realize that also, um, that depending on which lens you take, you know, we are part of the upper class and we are the bad guys in that narrative, you know, relative to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you could totally flip that on its head. Um, in one perspective, I guess. So, but at least like, in one perspective. Whose face am I pushing down into the mud? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> to be where I am. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Is the only, like, it, it, in order to not be complicit in that system, like, would you have to, you know, sell all of your things and, and move to some other country and dedicate your life to kind of some sort of... But I think... But, but see, part of the realisation is understanding the way that the world works. And I mean that like outside of not just human world, but nature. Like you look at nature is fucking brutal. Mm. You know, mother nature, she's brutal. Mm. Like, you know, we think we've talked before about like insects and shit like that. The way that some wasps will behave. Oh my God. Injecting, yeah. you know, babies into other insects' heads and yeah. shit like that. Well, you know, just look at a lion chase down a gazelle or whatever. Yeah. That it's like, that's the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. Let's face that reality Mm -hmm. that since, you know, life began, it's been consuming other forms of life and putting that life into itself. Mm. You know, that's almost like what, that's what's, yeah, that where we eat other things and make them us. Yeah. Yeah. That's what life does. That is that is our nature. That yeah. is nature. Yeah. And I think... Oh, okay. Now now it's getting to something that I find really hard to get to wrap my head around. Yeah. That's like... So if that's that's the nature, so what's, what is adaptive, what's effective is being brutal. Mm-hmm. And so if we look at like humans, having the... Being the best at warfare, you know, is like the most effective strategy. Mm-hmm. Because that allows you to, yeah, like beat everybody else and mm-hmm. take all their shit. Yeah. Um, but anybody, you know, who's like looking at the world can say, well, we don't, we don't have to do like that. If we just stop devoting so much of our resources to aggression, mm. we could accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. But then it's this feeling that like whoever does that then leaves themselves exposed to a nation state who doesn't agree and is like, no, nah, we're going to focus on the warfare bit mm. and we're just going to take all your shit. Yeah. Yep. We'll do whatever we want to you. 
yeah, which is why I guess uh, we are where we are, where we have both aspects to our nature, which is the brutal, violent um, capacity that's in us, as well as the cooperative capacity. And I do think that generally speaking, um, nature, as well as human beings, like, you know, we're, we're renowned for being one of the most cooperative species you know, in the world because of our high levels of communication, you know, that's what gave us a survival advantage in our, in the last, I don't know, how many thousand years that we developed these big brains was that we developed an awesome capacity to communicate with each other, form small groups and cooperate in really sophisticated ways. And so we weren't the strongest, we weren't the biggest, but we were the smartest. And that's how we, how we won in in nature or how we survived i should say um but i guess what i'm saying is that i think that nature in general and humans in general are more cooperative than the mainstream narrative has kind of told us we were given then like survival of the fittest narrative yeah well the like the hobbesian narrative that that like primitive human beings in our early stage life was short and it was brutal and it was just like dog eat dog but actually i think we're realizing that hunter-gatherer societies actually lived quite well and it wasn't characterized by death and brutality all the time that existed and was a part of it but there was a lot more time in cooperative and relatively harmonious community living in small tribes um and so yeah and i think that 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 narrative that we were sold and that we have been sold supports a more violent version of our culture than i think is really necessary um and that yeah we're kind of coming into a oh well i hope that we're coming into a new era of cooperation yeah okay we could keep talking about that maybe um, we park that one and yeah, but the so we're, what are we saying here that um, the world is a <laughs> the world is everything I reckon the world is everything it's good and yeah it's brutal and it's beautiful come to terms I think come to terms with it understand that yes it is correct that it's brutal and violent but yes it's also correct that it's beautiful and lovely and there's flowers and you yes. know there's birds chirping and there's pretty girls. and with respect to the aspect of it that's brutal and that isn't fair inherently um you gotta fight (laughs) you gotta gotta fight because it's better than to not fight Uh, i think that's a pretty good place to get to yeah all right and i'm gonna take that lesson (laughs) i remember hearing that when when you shared in the night and i was like yeah that was kind of inspirational for me to hear i was like yeah a reminder that um, that I want to fight, that I want to give my all to yeah. to life, and and um, not just kind of passively accept the the way the world was presented to me by my society. All right, so that was number two. Yeah. Now we're up to the final. Now the final one. So this was twenty twenty one. This is last year. Okay. And this is with DMT. Mm. so my experiences up to this point so i i used to vaporize dmt using a crack pipe (laughs) i remember yeah it's pretty gross it's pretty gross uh in a number of ways system Mm -hmm. in that it was 
Um, like it felt real cracky, felt felt like a junkie at times, mm-hmm. and it was, um, it was hard to take in a breakthrough dose. So it was physically hard to actually make it work, to vaporize enough DMT, and ingest it to have the breakthrough experience using that method. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it would get to the stage where it's like usually had to hit it three times mm-hmm. so like vape the first bit suck it in hold it for as long as you can exhale then heat it up again and the problem is is that as i'm heating it up the dmt from the first hits are coming on mm-hmm. and so everything's like oh i can't quite see the crack pipe anymore <laughs> and and then there's enough time to kind of wimp out and be like fuck do i really want this third hit oh my god and so it was a bit more unpredictable and like I did have breakthrough experiences using that method, um, but I had a lot of non, mm-hmm. so it's all it's just sub threshold experiences, like yeah. getting up to the gates and then fizzling yeah, out. Yeah, it's much more of a battle with that <clears throat> to, to break through because it's it's taking you more gradually to the, thre- to the threshold and, that, and leaping over that threshold is terrifying. So yeah. you all, it's better to have something that's just going to push mm. you over the edge straight away if you're chasing a breakthrough experience and so that's what i was and so that's what i did and i did some research and uh ordered a bunch of parts that i put together into this like sweet electronic vaporizer and so then so then i started testing it out Mm -hmm. um and i was using the same kind of measuring method which is what i was using with my crack pipe which Mm -hmm. was just stick a knife in and pour a bit in mm-hmm. and then that would be cool mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this worked for a i remember like the first time i hit this vaporizer it was like one hit instant breakthrough straight like straight into the dmt world it worked perfectly and i came out like this is a game changer <laughs> <laughs> after all this fucking around and effort this was like a guaranteed way to hit it yeah uh, and so then so i used it every now and then and then this one particular time I was, um, like, so I was feeling low, I was feeling down, um, just shit at work was frustrating me. Mm. And I, I got like the little feeling like, Oh, I should do some DMT. Um, because I was looking to it to like pull me out of this funk. I wanted to, I want something cool to happen basically. Uh, so I, I had the vape, I hit it and had like a a, a a broke through and when i was there there was this like feminine entity so it presented itself as like a um like a young girl and she was like holding out her hand and like come on almost leading me through almost a bit like um what's the word for it patronizing mm. that's like um, come on. Yeah, it's like, don't come worry, on, I'll show ya. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't you know how to do it? Come on. <laughs> you know, it's like a young kid showing tech. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is how you do it. <laughs> but it was really nice. I was like, yeah, sweet, cool, show me through. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of wore off. And then um, I'm back in the room and I look down at my vaporizer and can see there's like a little bit still left. And I was like, oh, I'll just clear that. Turn the vape on. <laughs> And then I'm hit and immediately go into this panic state where it feels like I've just fucked up. Like I've, I've 
this it's like we were talking at the start of the episode mm. where it's like i just tipped over onto the other side like this was the moment when i fucked up and i turned mad mm. like this is madness now and then this is going to last forever uh-huh. um but it's it's so strange because often with a like full dmd hit i'm straight onto the ground can't can't move my eyes are closed and i'm just in this other world yeah and then open my eyes and it's still like a bit like bloop, bloop. still feel it like oh cool it's coming down uh-huh. but this one i i stood up i stood up and i was walking around the room but it was just this fucking panic that's like Ooh. i'm never going to get out of this and i think like oh i should call somebody i should try and call someone but then you know i can't manipulate the world i can't find my phone or anything like that i walk into the bathroom it's like oh no i'll have a shower i look into the mirror there's nothing in the mirror <laughs> and i'm like oh shit the whole world turns this like uh, it's like an inverse it's like black and white but inversed yeah so like the walls are kind of black you know i can't quite describe it's like it flipped to the other side yeah so i'm freaking out i feel super embarrassed uh-huh. that it's like simultaneously I'm panicking that I'm that I've lost my mind and it's going to be like this forever. And then I'm embarrassed being like a psychedelic advocate mm. and that I'm like like the shame. I'm going to have to call my friends <laughs> and explain to them what I've done. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'll be in a mental hospital or something like that and I, and the people like, mm, that's what mm-hmm, that's <laughs> what happens. He was foolish." You know that kind of like, oh we were always Fuck. worried that this was going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the final blow is this, the feeling of this presence in the, in the room, this like dark, monstrous entity. And it's like, oh, 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 I have you now. You know, it's like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? Like, is it, it's an, there's an actual demon now mm-hmm. that's come and he's like, I've got you. Mm-hmm. Like you're mine now, mm. and I'm like trying to fight. Like no, no, no. And then I just collapse onto the floor mm. and kind of resign. That I'm like, fine, like take me. I can't do anything. I can't yeah. do anything. Yeah. And then I'm on the floor, collapsed. And then you know, then it wears off. <laughs> and then and it wore off, and I'm on the floor, kind of chuckling. So I'm like, oh. Thank fuck. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not permanently insane. Mm. Like, that is quite a relief. Yes. And then, and the next day I woke up and, you know, birds were chirping and I was like, phew. But I couldn't shake the feeling. Mm. Like, it was still there. That just in the back of my mind that it ha- that, that happened. Mm. It wasn't so easily brushed off and, um, and I did, oh yeah, first thing I did was then order a um, scale. Because <laughs> I went back to the video for assembling this vaporizer and they were like, note, make sure that you measure the amount of DMT that you put in because this is much more efficient than other methods. Even if you're an experienced user, you should do this. You know, of course I didn't follow that because mm. I'm like, cool, that's for other people, not me. Yeah. So I was like, right. Okay. I'll measure it next time. Yeah. So I got that scale and I did, I did go in again and like, so I tested out the scale, tested out some doses, mm-hmm. but each time I went in again with the DMT, I was very apprehensive mm. and I felt like my body was like, no nah, man, 
you don't want to don't do that again mm. that was fucked mm. and so i found it yeah like i was afraid yeah yeah you had a like a small trauma sounds like and, yeah and your nervous system was like Mm-mm, that's yeah. not safe yeah and you're yet to fully return i haven't gone so i've i did some tests to see to check out dosages and so I was slowly kind of increasing the doses until I got to a state where I was like, I don't want to go into that level. Mm. But now I've got an idea of like, what can be a, what's the sub threshold amount for me using that equipment. Yeah. So I feel more confident that when it's time to go back in, I can start low and not blast myself again. Um, how, how will you know when you're ready again? Mm. And what are you going to do differently this time so that's that's a good question and it does bring up some important details from the way that i prepared for that particular one Mm. which was really shit preparation so it was i was feeling low energy i was burnt out at work i went in wanting the experience to give me something cool to pull me out of it uh i'd also i was kind of caught in this um way of um like looking at the psychedelics as cool things you know it's like okay man just quickly like dip into a dmt experience have this have this sweet crazy experiences and come back out again Mm. and maybe some people do do that Mm. but i guess i'm kind of thinking like maybe that's not how it happens for me Mm. that as much as i would really love to be able to just casually have a breakthrough dmt experience maybe i just can't yeah that it's just too intense for me i'm just going to feel it more intensely yeah yeah i this is where i have that jealousy sometimes is that mm. there are some people some psychonauts quote unquote who um they they tend to strike me as generally quite gentle natured human beings that are really mm. humble and soft and kind yeah. and they don't seem to have any and or very rarely have antagonistic or challenging experiences they like they're often the kind of people that have a really like strong relationship with ayahuasca as an entity. Oh, she showed me this. And it's like, it really sounds like because of that relationship, it is always gentle. Like they'll say things like, Oh, this time I asked mother ayahuasca to give me a gentle experience. And so she, she did, she really (laughs) guided me through this one. And I'm, I, I get jealous a little bit then because I I just seem to have a much more tumultuous experience. Yeah. A lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's something that we, maybe we can get there. Yeah. But whereas for some people, maybe it was an easier process or a more natural process. Mm. I do actually feel like I'm closer. And it is one of those things where the more I treat these substances as though they are not just a substance they are a, an entity or a being um with which i have a relationship the more i feel like um the experience opens up and it opens up in a more gentle way mm. um it's not me treating it like a yeah like a thing or a commodity an experience that i want to get for myself and it's more of a relationship then yeah it seems to help don't know how that applies with dmt well then that <laughs> It begs the question then that is, is that, did that massive monstrous black force that I encountered, is that, what the fuck was that? Yeah, well, I mean, one interpretation that I have um, thought about before is like, um, and I think actually 
um, what's that guy's name? Gr- Graham Hancock. Hancock. He sort of says, you know, ayahuasca is like a spirit that will guide you. Whereas when you take DMT, what he finds generally is that the entities that appear with DMT have no understanding of consent or <laughs> care for you. They just come along and kind of do whatever the fuck they want to to you. Mm. Um, and when he said that, it kind of like it resonated for me. It's like when you take ayahuasca, you're inviting a guiding spirit to join you for the ride. When you smoke DMT, you're just cracking yourself open to anything and everything that's out there, um, inclusive of, yeah, all sorts. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I'd had a conversation with a friend of ours. So he was saying, like, after using DMT a, lo- a lot, that he's basically stopped doing it. Right. Because it had because of the unpredictable nature of it mm. and probably it is harder to bring something back from a DMT experience mm-hmm. it's so fleeting it's so fast and intense mm. but he was also saying that it's like it's almost like you don't know what door you're going to step through with it and there's sometimes you open a door and it's fucked mm. on the other side mm. yeah yeah that makes uh, that seems like a pretty strong interpretation and why and that's why I think DMT is more dangerous um, and I'm always like I tend to caution people more around DMT um, because of that you know I, I heard um, somebody's experience when I was in South America they they basically they'd smoked DMT quite a few times before they came to South America and drank ayahuasca and in one of those experiences they had absolutely no idea what had happened yeah right? <laughs> but they knew that they were worse for wear afterwards. Okay. They didn't feel as good. They, they, it, was tra- it was a traumatic experience, but they didn't know why because they couldn't remember it. And during one of their ayahuasca journeys, the like, ayahuasca guided them to those memories and said, hey, this is what happened. And almost like nurtured them through re-experiencing the, the traumatic memory in a way that they could manage. Um, and what the traumatic memory was that was, this person had a particular disease and in their DMT experience, the disease killed them and they experienced their own death. Uh, but it was shit. maybe overwhelming and so the mind repressed it, their mind yeah. repressed it. And then later on, Ayahuasca was like, okay, Remember here, let when me... you died? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that always struck, struck me. Like another thing that can happen is that DMT can just expose you to something that you're not ready to yeah. see yet. <laughs> that resonates. I do. Oh, there's, there's something about it. There's this class, uh, the oh, class is the wrong word category of feeling that I get often. And it's like, it's a return. It's when I, when I hit it and go to the, there's a breakthrough and I go to the space it's really consistent for me like I go to a very similar space even though it's really hard to interpret it's still like aha here I am again mm. and it's like remembering it's I like, remember yeah yes I remember oh how did I forget mm. here I am again and mm. then there's some information and I'm like mm-hmm, yes <laughs> I know yes that's it I remember mm. yeah I, I get that with ayahuasca particular it's a beautiful remembering it's like i'm being brought 
back to um, something really fundamental in myself or the world. Um, yeah, a knowing, my heart, maybe something really <laughs> deep in myself. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my remember. Yeah, I think we're. I think we're remembering different things. Different things. Yeah, yeah. For me, with IR, it's quite a beautiful remembering. <laughs> But with, with DMT, it sounds like a different thing for you. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. But there's a familiarity there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, such a strange familiarity because when you're out of it, you're like, I don't, I don't remember being there before. I don't, I don't know what it, what it is. But when I'm there, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, here we are. Okay. I think um, going back to, you asked the question about what are, what would I do differently? How would, how will I know when I'm ready to do it again? Mm. And so, um, uh, yeah, that's right. I think a really good thing for me to remember. So in the, the first psychedelic experience that we talked about here, which is where I was at the center at the, at the healings at the ayahuasca healing center, had that brutal ceremony, went in again the night after faced everything. It was fucking great. When I was there, it was like my whole life at that point is preparing to do ayahuasca. Yeah. It's dieting. Like there's no technology. I'm, I'm journaling, reading a little bit, smoking some apatro, having some chats. But the main thing is looking at inward at my life and having cleansing out my body. Mm. So everything is focused on that. Whereas when I hit this DMT last year, my life is focused on like work and I'm not eating that well and exercise is okay. Like at this point, um, the time I'm describing is when my kind of exercise regime has dropped off a bit and I'm like, I'm drinking a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. And so that whole preparation is totally different. Mm. Instead of going into the experience, like I am ready for you. I will face whatever comes up. It's like, please make me feel not so bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, going in like that is a recipe for disaster now that I can look back at it. Mm. The other thing is that I was listening to super heavy music. Mm -hmm. I remember like I was listening to this band. I almost like don't want to say the band or the song because then someone else might like go listen to it <laughs> and then it'll fuck them. <laughs> There's was, something in the music. That's yeah. Like a demonic kind of. So I was listening to it and it, the, yeah, the particular song and there's a video clip and it is super demonic. It's mm. like there's this guy who's basically trapped by a demon. And so I'm like, well, maybe don't listen to that kind of shit before you <laughs> go, into the, go into the DMT world. Mm. Bring in, do a little bit more love and light, bro. Yeah. That's, yeah. So I think that um, being ready physically and mentally, being clean... And then the other thing is that I'd usually just get a sense. I'll be driving around and it'll be like, it's time. Mm. And then I'll know that it's time. Okay. And get called. Yeah. Yes. It's like, yeah. And so after that, after that really difficult experience and chatting with a few people, I was like, I need to take a break. Mm. Like I need to rethink this and make some changes before I can go back in because I just shouldn't. 
And so I'm getting much closer now to feeling like it's time. Mm -hmm. I still haven't got the literal, the call yet that Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, this Sunday, it's time to do it. Yeah. But it's just feeling closer. It's getting closer. It's feeling like, yeah, yeah. And it may well be, I might use some different medicine first, like do like a mushroom sip. Actually, that'd be lovely. Mm. Do something like that instead. Mm. Uh, Or not instead, like in the lead up to Mm -hmm. easing back in. Mm -hmm. And then at one point, I'll know that it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, well, I think that that pretty much covers the three pieces. Are there any, is there any final well, comments or reflections? There is something on the DMT and this may well just open up a topic for a later mm. chat, mm-hmm. which is talking about, so what actually is happening there or what was the experience so is it so the little feminine spirit that took me by the hand Mm. and the dark demonic shadow are those aspects of my unconscious are they part of the human collective unconscious are they interdimensional beings that actually do exist Mm, that um, dropped in on your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when it was the little girl actually um, not a little girl and, and was the demon pulling you into a trap? Yeah, in the like first I got place. catfished. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or was it, was it separate? Was that spirit actually nice and she was going to show me somewhere and then like the DMT wore off so I lost her and then I went back in to try and find her again and the demon was like, ha oh. <laughs> ha. <laughs> I'm here now, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Could demons exist in a in a like in a scientific worldview? Um do they exist? All of these things would be a very fun episode. Maybe we should record a whole Maybe episode <laughs> about chasing demons uh and whether entities exist. Sounds like a good idea. Mm. Tune in <laughs> next time. <laughs> Cue the music that we don't have yet. Yeah. (laughs) That's 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 it. That's a wrap. We did it. Well done. Nice. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more episodes or to support the podcast, please follow the links in the show notes or go to altermates.com. Adios amigos!